From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Florida's trip to Music City hit a sour note last weekend as Vanderbilt shocked the Gators with their first loss to Nashville in 34 years. Meanwhile, basketball rode a monster second half in a comeback win at Florida State with Gator Nation hoping football can follow suit in Tallahassee. On today's show, we'll fire up a Thanksgiving feast of a roundtable with the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, and FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry. To discuss the debacle against the doors, expectations for the looming battle against the Seminoles, basketball's first win at Florida State in a decade, and the best winning traditions in sports. Then, redshirt freshman wide receiver and recent standout Dejon Reynolds joins us to chat about what brought him to Gainesville, emerging from a crop of talented young receivers, and his recently acquired passion for traveling. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. The table is full for this pre-Thanksgiving feast. We have FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry with us, and of course, the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly. Uh, and guys, let, let's start with a conversation that I, I don't think we were expecting to have a week ago. Uh, I mean, boy, the, the, the difference just a few days can make. When we last sat down for this conversation, all the talk was the momentum Florida had built at A&M, rolling through South Carolina, and essentially, it, to some degree, just looking ahead to is 8-4 and four going to happen? Just assuming Vanderbilt was going to be Vanderbilt and then maybe a go win in Tallahassee. Uh, and then, as is often the case in sports, that script completely torn up and upended and Florida has a, a, a pretty rough performance at Vanderbilt and uh, and lose accordingly. I guess, for, as a starting place, how do we assess what happened at Vandy because of how different and out of line it was with where things had been trending? You are right, Adam. Uh... A lot different kind of conversation that, that I expected to have. I remember even mentioning eight and four last week, and I think Chris piped in about the coach and him says you have to play him one at a time. And sure enough, uh, the coach was right in this one. You know, how did it go wrong? You know, we could we could analyze this one in a lot of ways. That guys, uh, there's a lot. There's a long list of things that didn't go right for the Gators. You know, starting out the first quarter, you know, let's just look at those early red zone possessions. They only got field goals there. It's a different kind of game if they scored touchdowns. Uh, they had some costly penalties. You know, the punt that was dropped in the end zone. It was just a day that, you know, they had to get up early, roll out of bed and go to uh, Dudley Field. And they just they just didn't look good from the start. I mean, you could just tell uh, that they were going to start slow, which didn't surprise me. But what did surprise me is they never got it really going. And Vanderbilt was very opportunistic and took advantage of every mistake that the Gators made. They scored 14 points off turnovers. Florida had none. Uh, Florida had more penalties. 
Uh, and, you know, they stopped the running game, which I think if you had asked, I think if you asked me or most of us last week, probably, I thought, okay, the Gators are going to be able to run the ball like they did against A&M and South Carolina. And it never came to fruition. Uh, so it was just, I don't know how to say it, Adam, it was just a, a miserable day for the Gators on all fronts. And, and now they have to quickly regroup. Yeah, and I don't think the, the sting of this loss goes away anytime soon. Sometimes you can flush this thing, but even if you beat Florida State uh, this week to wrap up the regular season, this one's going to sting for a long time and maybe well into the offseason, unfortunately. The timing of it's awful because, as you guys already pointed out, you had momentum here in the month of November, and we're talking about eight wins, nine with a bowl win, uh, and now you kind of you kind of wrecked that. Isn't it interesting how – Four or five penalties and the muff punt basically decide this football game. And maybe it's even it's less than that. Now, should it be one to two plays that decide a Florida Vanderbilt game? I don't think so. Um, but that's basically what it comes down to. I, I can think of at least two penalties that killed Florida chances and two penalties that extended Vanderbilt chances for sure in this football game. And while there's been dings along the way all season long for a team trying to get its legs in a first-year program and – uh, shortcomings of different positions talent-wise. This seems to be the longest laundry list of problems in any given week that we've seen yet. And, and yes, it's cataclysmic in a lot of ways because of the opponent, the timing, and everything else. Um, I really feel for Jason Marshall. I do. Um, you're basically down to your third punt returner with um, injuries, obviously, to Henderson and then Pearsall, who left you know halfway through this one. Uh, yeah, I just wish – I wish – instincts would not have taken over and he could have just gotten away from that football. Maybe that's the one play that decides the whole thing because it felt like the game changed even more. I felt like all day long, even though it wasn't going very well, that, well, okay, it's going to be okay. You know, all right, next drive, we'll get it. You know, hey, look, it's still a little time. This team has four come from behind wins, but man, the punt gets muffed like that. They score and then it just, it just seemed like it was just sliding away, almost in slow motion, like some bad dream uh, in front of you. Uh, and by the way, I would love to know the cost per person for Vanderbilt storming the field uh, <laughs> at the end of the football game. But look, give Vanderbilt credit. They, they won two straight and, uh, you know, they outplayed the Gators in a lot of ways. And we're seeing some crazy stuff right now in college football. But still, I, you know, whether it be early start, cold weather, uh, whatever, it, if, if Florida wants to get back to where Florida wants to be, this this can't happen. I don't think there's anybody shying away from that. Um yeah, and, and now you have a week where a loss like that takes away from what we'll talk about a bit later, which is a thrilling comeback win against Florida State basketball. And now I don't want anyone to de devalue the, the joy that we all have in this rivalry game coming this Friday night. The start to the game, uh, an inability to run the football. I mean, I, I just think that probably took the offense by, you know, took them aback a little bit. Because, uh, you know, you're just expecting, you know, uh, Montreal or you're expecting uh, in ETN to, to break off a, a run. Or certainly Anthony Richardson maybe to break off something. Um, I mean, after the first quarter, they were minus six yards, minus 13 yards rushing. Yeah. And but but both Scott and, and Sean mentioned this. I mean, those the three major penalties. OK, the holding penalty when the defense on a third and 14, I think it was when the defense had gotten off the field. The muff putt return, and then the ill-advised pass by Anthony Richardson for the interception, and uh, a turnover the likes of which he had avoided for the last five games, to his credit. 
And it all happened so fast. That was all like jammed into like one little 15 minute stretch where nothing seemed right. And like Sean said, you got the feeling, okay, they're going to figure it out eventually. But once those things started compounding on it, you just, there was body language issues also. Um, and, but I, but I go back to the, what Florida does best is, is run the football. You're not able to run the football. Um, and even though Anthony Richard threw for 400 yards, I, I, you know, I, that's, that's not what they wanted to do going to Nashville. So, um, evaluation time, uh, you got to figure out how a Vanderbilt team was able to stonewall, um, the second best running game in the Southeastern conference, uh, the number two yards per carry, uh, uh, rush, rush offense in the country. Um, and I, I don't know. And, and you got to do it on a short week. And so, you know, there's a guys who in that, uh, you know, their feelings are hurt, but you know, you, you, you got to put it behind them because you know what, Scott, one game at a time, you play the next that's game. That's right. That's right. Now, that's a big next game coming up. And I'm not going to jump all in with what Sean said. I, I think if Florida were to go to Tallahassee and win, they'd feel a lot better about it, but very, very tall order, by the way. You know, we do live in an era of instant gratification. Uh, if you want something, you just click a button on Amazon. It shows up there, right? I think I, I know that most fans want fixes to be quick, right? You want change to happen and for it to happen quickly. Uh, w- was this game indicative of maybe the fact that this is not going to be as easy to get Florida back to where Florida should be uh, as maybe people thought after the progress made in the last two games. Is, is it is it fair to say maybe this is a reminder that that a rebuild of this order does take some time? Well, I mean, I think that's the term, you know, Billy Napier used after the loss was a, that's kind of a reality check. I mean, he admitted it's a setback. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a topic of conversation earlier this week uh, as he started talking about Florida State. Um, you know, I think it's probably a quote that is being passed around the most was, you know, it's not, it's not a where you go in and you flip the light switch and the house is built. I mean, that's not what this is. It's a process. He's been through it before. He's really sticking to his same message we've heard. But I just think, Adam, it's just this. that's the way this season's been. We, we talked about this before where the win over Utah, I think, created some false hope. And then it was right back to reality after Kentucky, uh, USF, close win. And then, of course, people kind of accepted that, but then they started playing well after the losses to LSU and Georgia. And again, a little bit of false hope. And here we are. We're talking about a maybe a six and six season if they lose uh, at Florida State. And a lot of people predicted six and six to eight and four. So they're kind of right on target either way, big picture. But again, it's a week to week business, a week to week game. And the fan base is, uh, or the fan base, you know, they're, they're tweet to tweet. So, it, it just uh, it's just been all over the place, uh, but you know, I, I I think just from what I've seen, I mean, they're going to be a there's going to be a big roster makeover. We all know that, and I do think there's some established pieces and that are going to really benefit the Gators down the road. And number one is the culture; it's a different culture. So, uh, you know, a loss like this last year was certainly been bad too. I'm curious to see if they can respond like they did last year when they played Florida State. So we'll see on Saturday, but it is going to take a little time. I I think that we read too much into one game or the other. Sometimes, as as Scott alluded to there, um, the 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 particular opponent here is what stings you a little bit. In this case, look, I I think that if anything else, you know, whether the insurance is going to pay for it or not, 
The doctors have now run just about every test they can think of on the Florida Gator football team. <laughs> and if there's any benefit to all this is that clearly we should all know by now what is needed um, and what is okay with Florida football right now. And I think that's, that's of benefit to take away more so than maybe, you know, last season when you're evaluating whether leadership can change or not. Uh, I think now with, with the new leadership and, and the way things have been tested through this particular schedule, uh, a loss to a team that many of us would ever say you should never lose to, and maybe a win or two here and there that going back to Utah, that, uh, you know, may or may should not have been expected. So the, the schedule was, was very challenging um, up until this past loss. You probably could sit there and look at most of the losses and say, this all makes sense. Um, so look, uh, look, I love ending on a rivalry game. So in some ways, I, I and we and all in Gator Nation, um, if we can flush it and get ready for Saturday and then figure out what this bowl game situation is like, go into the offseason and, and have some faith in Billy Napier's recruiting class and taking this knowledge from running all these tests uh, to uh, diagnose and fix. So as we assess what's next for Florida, as we noted, one more game left in the regular season. It is Florida State. Uh, again, I, I, Sean, I, I know you like to talk about the uh, the people out in the desert who have determined that this is roughly a, a double-digit uh, favorite situation for FSU, given where Florida is coming from. I, I don't know that many people expect to win this game. And yet, as we've seen, Florida has won games they weren't supposed to win, just like they've lost games no one thought they would lose. So how do we assess this matchup against the Seminoles and, and what Florida will need uh, to get a win and, and try and salvage again that, that good feeling that everyone had up until Saturday? Right back at them to our recurring theme. This Florida team can beat anyone, and I do believe that, and they can absolutely lose to anyone, and that's been proven as well. Hey, look, I mean, if, if we're going to look at the Vegas number and say as to why, Mike Norvell's 19-5 and five now in November games. Uh, they are rolling. Uh, the, the Seminoles have eight wins. They have four straight by 25-plus. Take that with you, what you may, regarding the opponent, but – this is a Florida State team that a couple things strike me. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat, but they've probably lost to the teams that they were supposed to lose to. Um, in some ways, that's a healthy sign for a football program. I find them to be rather balanced. I think Jordan Travis has proven to be rather consistent this year. So on paper, yeah, I think Vegas maybe is right in setting the line where they have. But um, if Florida can get back to uh, the running numbers they put up against, say, a South Carolina team that – Shocked everybody by destroying Tennessee this past week. Uh, go, and figure, playing, go figure that. Yeah, I, we could do a whole yeah, podcast on that, right? Whole podcast on that, <laughs> or, or or Ole Miss's game, or any. I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's cats and dogs living together right now. Anarchy, chaos reigns in college football. I love it. Bring me all of that. Um, anyway, uh, just you know, play clean. You know, let's see what happens when you don't commit untimely and silly penalties, uh, and obviously, you know play like you did the beginning of this month to end the month and Florida in a rivalry game has just as good a chance as Florida state does to win this thing. So um, yeah, other than that, I, you know, I'll just let you guys say the rest and I'll see you all Friday night. <laughs> you know, it's a matchup. Whoever's favored. We always know this game has little quirks to it. You know, the rivalry game, it's one of your classic rivalry games. And it, it was, it was going to have a lot more use. I thought last week, 
uh, if Florida could have gone to Vanderbilt and win because both teams would have been coming in on a hot streak. That didn't happen. But FSU still is there at home. And, I mean, it's just like a lot of what Sean said. It's a big challenge for Gators. I mean, this could ease some of their frustration from Vanderbilt if they can go over there and, and spoil a Friday night under the lights at Tallahassee. Uh, so it's a little twist there, too. They're going to go over on Thanksgiving Day. They're going to have a little dinner at the hotel as a team. And then they're going to get up Friday and play Friday night. Uh, so I just think it's a uh, – it's it's an interesting matchup. Just from, it's always interesting because of who it is. But with where these two programs are, and them both racing to get back to the elite, uh, it, it's always going to matter to a, a couple of recruits who wins this game. I mean, it's not going to decide it by any stretch of the imagination the the future trajectory. But you know, there's there's going to be a couple of recruits maybe swinging out there in the balance and the. Maybe who wins is a big deal, but I think more importantly for Florida, it's just a chance to finish the regular season with a winning streak or a, a winning record uh, and to get back up off the mat after that uh, trip to Vanderbilt. If they want an example of, of how to get up off the mat and, and win in Tallahassee, uh, they could look to Todd Golden's team, who did just that uh, last weekend as well. Um, and, and Chris, uh, to, to get us started here, I mean, wow, what an incredible turn of events. Florida's down huge at halftime and then totally flips the switch and ends up kind of burying the Seminoles. So uh, what happened in Tallahassee that, that led to such a, a wild turnaround over the course of that game? Well, I think uh, attitude happened, and I think it happened at halftime. Um, uh, you know, let's step back a second. Todd Golden never – he'd been in rivalry games, I'm sure, plenty of them, you know, the places he'd been before. Um, this is his first taste of, of Florida, Florida State. Um, I don't know how he sold the game beforehand. I mean, uh, interesting, though, he took the scout on this game. Usually assistant coaches do scouts. He took this one. And <laughs> at halftime, his plan hadn't worked very well. I mean, the Gators shot 27% uh, from the floor. I believe they were – I think they missed the first uh, 10 of their first 11 threes. Um, there were three uh, – they, they, they shot uh, 20 – just shy of 28%, and they trailed by 17 at the break. And at halftime, I mean, he, he said this, you know, we're, we're, why are we backing down against these guys? They, they, they don't have enough numbers. Uh, they're not great ball handlers, and they're not great shooters. Let's change something. And he, he even said after the game, he goes, I'm not a full-court pressure defense guy, but we had to do something. He says, and sometimes you got to do drastic stuff. They came out in that, and it's funny. Colin Kasten said, you know, we needed to chip away, chip away, chip away. Well, how about 10 nothing run? 14 nothing run, then another 10 nothing run. That's not chipping away. Florida scored 38 of the first uh, 30, uh, excuse me, 33 of the first 38 points scored in the second half and went from down 17 to up 11. And obviously the tenor in the building uh, uh, <laughs> changed quite drastically. And so did the confidence on the bench, on the, on the Florida bench. And the cameras, I, I, I watched the replay when I got home. The cameras kept showing Todd Golden on the sidelines. He's right over there in front of Sean, and he just kept, you know, whipping his hand around faster, 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 keep it up, keep it up, because he even said afterward, he goes, they, they had six guys, and we kept, you know, just keep the, keep the pressure on them, and they weren't going to be able to stay with the Gators. And maybe that should have been what the strategy was at the beginning, but uh, Colin Kasten was fantastic. Uh, another, you know, he uh, FSU ha had five guys, uh, four guys with injuries, another who was suspended. 
they were at, they were down men. They had had a, they had three bad mid-major losses. They were zero and three coming in, um, and they just they seemed to have something at the first half of the game. Uh, just the same, we're stopping this. We're stopping you know whatever's going on with their team right now. We're going to win one in this rivalry for pride. Um, Leonard Hamilton afterwards he goes, we had this rivalry for a while, seven straight, and rivalries don't like that. And there was a little bit something to that. Uh, Florida wins its first game in Tallahassee since 2012. I, um, I said to my broadcast partner, the two-time champ, Lee Humphrey, during that halftime, I said, well, brother, I guess we're going to figure out how tough our, our Gators are right now um, because after the FAU loss and the way that that game played out and then certainly the first half, I had large concerns, and I, I think that we all needed an answer, and boy, don't you like the answer. I mean, just uh, not only was it a collective effort, but, the uh, you know, you look back now, what a key move it was to make a change in the five that would start the second half. Bonham comes off the bench and is now the uh, amongst the starting second half five, and he cranked it up to 11. And, and he'd not been good, mess. Sean. And, right, Sean, and he'd right. not been very good in the first three games, let's be honest, it, right? Exactly. But he, he was sent out there with a clear mandate, go harass the daylights out of Mills and their other guards. Um, and it's interesting because – Chris, you pointed it out. Florida State came into the game knowing, you know, their situation. Uh, and I was a bit concerned, to, uh, what, what do we call it, um, uh, d- deliberate or um, uh, dangerous because they're, you know, they're backed into a corner, they're injured, desperate, I guess is the better word. Um, and, and the Gators allowed them to have hope early in the game. <laughs> it snowballed on them. But down 19, fourth largest comeback, is that right, Chris, in Florida Gators basketball history? Yeah, no. So answer, I love the answer. I, I, I learned something about the Gators in the win, and uh, it felt good. And it, you know, um, it was an interesting postgame visit on the radio and, uh, <laughs> and a very festive locker room as well. Uh, and, and to do it here on the road, too, your first true road game, we'll see how that translates into what could be um, a very fun but challenging week ahead here in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, now and, and let me just throw something else in. The, the second half, Kowasi Reeves and Riley Kugel were DMPs. We have so much yet to learn about this basketball team and how rotations are going to work. And and I mean, uh, uh, Trey Bonham uh, didn't play a whole lot, and like I said, didn't play very well in the first three games. And he was one of the reasons they won this game. So there, there, there's a lot still to figure out from Todd Golden's standpoint. From uh, in this locker room, I mean, My- Myron Jones hasn't hit a field goal yet in four games, and I know that's weighing on him. But he's and and, and, and he knows it's coming, but it's just kind of hard to live in that moment right now. But uh, after playing the three games that they did to to start the season, Stony Brook, Kennesaw State, the loss to Florida Atlantic that that Todd Golden basically said should never happen. We, you know, he was we need to beat Florida Atlantic at home. But he goes, but that doesn't mean we're going to start changing everything that we're going to do. He thinks he has a good team. Uh, we're going to find out just how good they are. The Florida State was was just a, the trip to Florida State was just a beginning because this uh, this uh, uh, Phil Knight Legacy uh, tournament is is loaded with uh, loaded with um, how do I say this with Ken Palm points to be had. Okay, and and Florida Florida will find out a lot about it because they're going to play some real good teams starting with Xavier on Thanksgiving Day. 
Moving on to our PAT, uh, I'm inspired this week by something I didn't know existed until yesterday, uh, where one of my friends sent me the uh, the thing they're doing out in Sacramento for the Kings, where every time they win a game at home, they have a giant laser beam that they shoot up out of the top of the arena, and they have this thing where it's like light the beam, and it's a whole big thing, uh, and, and it got me, it's super weird, but it's cool, and then it got me thinking about other things that, that teams do that are traditions or some type of rallying thing. There's, you know, fly the W in Chicago. I mean, there's a million of these things if you start thinking about it. So that's what I, I wanted to ask you guys in your vast and wide experience. What are some of uh, of your favorite team traditions or kind of rallying cries uh, that you've experienced in your time? Well, first of all, let's, I want to acknowledge the one that the Kings are doing, which I find kind of stupid. So. <laughs> For some fans to find that interesting, I find that kind of weird. But, you know, that's just me. I got a different take. I'm suddenly, and I like to play the commotion on this show, you know, just for kicks. Uh, I don't know. The, you know, when you say fan stuff, when I think of the Homer Hankies, I think of the Twins winning the World Series, the Tomahawk Chop with the Braves. They're both baseball. Uh, I don't, you know, college sports – I don't have anything that stands out. You know, I'm probably missing something here. I mean, you could use We Are The Boys is a thing. Tom Petty is a thing. Jump around in Wisconsin. What are we I mean, hold, I mean, I don't hold, know. No, hold on, hold on. I thought the PAT was traditions when a team wins a game. Well, it could be that specifically, but I guess you could look at it more broadly if you choose. Because I think, it, like, I was thinking, like, you know, free beer, free pizza, that kind of thing. Should we scrap this and do a top Thanksgiving no, 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 food no, no, no. instead? Uh, Sean, I think no, no. Sean has something. Okay. Yes. Yeah, just 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 keep it right here. Um, <laughs> first of all, first of all, hats off to the Sacramento Kings, who throughout their history have tried and tried and tried to find some tradition that will stick for them and become their own. And this is uh, uh, ideation number forty-seven or whatever that over the years they've tried to put together and. If we're going to shoot laser into the sky from the arena, then maybe it'll stick. Good for the Kings. Um, as far as when teams win, and Adam, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, raising the W in Chicago. Uh, the Pirates raise the Jolly Roger when they win. Um, I, to me, one of the uh, one of the great ones, even though I can't stand Kansas, is when that crowd starts that low-chanting rock chalk Jayhawk when their team is taking it down the stretch – there is nothing more haunting to an opponent than when that crowd, and they know exactly when and how to do it. They start, you know, ratcheting that thing up when the Jayhawks are about to win again at the Fog. So that's up there. Texas over the years, they light the tower. When one of the Texas teams win, they light the tower on campus orange, which I have asked here at Florida, um, and I know I've seen that tower lit in orange and blue before for maybe just because just it looks cool, but how cool would it be? if that became a tradition in Florida where we could light the tower anytime the Gators win and make that a very specific thing. Um, I think that's something we could do here, but those are just a couple of, you know, thoughts about, you know, ongoing traditions or long traditions about a team celebrating a win or marking a win, if you will. Sean understood the assignment and he brought it. Thank you, Sean. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know what the Sacramento Kings record is this year, but I've been following the NBA for a long time. I'm kind of, I'm the oldest guy on this podcast right now. And I know if Sacramento Kings win a game, they should shoot a rocket to the moon or something. So I, I, you know, I mean, good God, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. I I will say one of the, one of the oddest things or 
And Sean, have you ever done a, a game at Wisconsin football? Yes, I have. Do they do the polka afterwards? Uh, not that I can recall. The only thing I remember from Camp Randall was jump around. Yeah. The jump around is, is awesome, but that's, I, I, that, that is fabulous. But having said that, I, I, you know, I, when I went to a football game at Wisconsin to cover when Miami played them in 1989, I think it was the season opener, if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the game, and this was a tradition, everyone ran on the field after the game and did the polka, jumping up and down, all this stuff. And then I did, so I'm going to assume that was before uh, they, they they did the jump around. Probably jump around didn't even exist then. But they're yeah, doing a yeah. polka. They're doing a polka on the field, and Miami beat them 58 to three. And all I'm saying is, is this is why they call them cheeseheads because <laughs> they're just enjoying themselves so much. But it was post game. They just didn't win. That's the best I got for this kind of very average yeah. PAT. Yeah. Hey, look, there, there's great ones all over. You know, I, I'll never forget going uh, to Missouri football games in the old Big 8 days. And because the winner of the Big 8 would go to the Orange Bowl, Missouri, who seldom did it, all their fans would throw oranges onto the field after the first uh, play of the season at the home <laughs> games. So we'd have to stop and they would have to clean up, you know, 8,000 oranges off the field. Um, you know, the, you know those, those, everybody has something, right? You know, we have, we have, of course, now won't back down and all that. But just, you know, I think there's, I think there's something to a culture and a program when they have a tradition of celebrating a win more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, now that I kind of get the, the question a little better. Probably celebrating the win. I mean, the one that sticks out in the SEC for me was uh, Toomer's Corner, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before the trees that's got a, that's, a, that's a real good one. Yeah, I mean, that's a they that was celebrating a win. You know, they, that was a tradition that's still going on, I guess, but with different trees, unfortunately, than uh, what they used to have. But um, you know, like Florida does sing the alma mater, uh, but they do that after wins and losses. But just as far as wacky traditions, I had to look this up to think about it but i remember covering the uh, lightning at the uh, red wing one year up in detroit and i i was relatively new to hockey and all of a sudden people started throwing those little octopuses on the ice i'm like what the heck but so that i remember that's being a weird one uh that i experienced firsthand but uh i was just yeah. thinking about that one actually a few minutes ago i was thinking about that one what a waste of an octopus <laughs> by the octopus you chuck them on i tell you what to, to scott's thing on and to get out of this real quick in tumor's corner how about the famous one in 2019 when Auburn toilet papered the trees after they all rushed out of the uh, uh, they, they had the the their final four game against Virginia on and they all rushed out if they had it on an Auburn arena and they on the tell us on a, on a big screen they all rushed out they toilet papered the place meanwhile Kyle Guy is making three free throws with 0.2 seconds left in the game inside and all of a sudden they, they came out and about 15 minutes later all these auburn fans found out they lost the game they were all constipated and there was no toilet paper oh, <laughs> oh. oh. great moments in sec <laughs> yeah that's that's a, a, should, yeah. should be a documentary about that yes yeah put put that on your true south all right yeah yeah um 
what a perfect way to end uh, this this thank, pre-Thanksgiving roundtable with talks of uh, constipation and toilet paper. I don't know that we can do any better than that, so I guess we'll just leave it there. Uh, while it is the holidays, we know everyone's going to be with families. These guys are going to be busy working. They're going to be in Tallahassee. They're going to be in Portland bringing you all the action from the Gators this coming week. So make sure to follow them and check out all the content on FloridaGators.com. We hope you have a good one with your families as well. Adam, thanks. It's been a great semester. We'll see you in January. Happy holidays. See Adam. Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving (laughs) to all you guys. In a rebuilding season, one of the most important signs to look for is the growth and development of young talent, especially toward the end of the year. If that's the bar for progress, Dejan Reynolds certainly cleared it against Vanderbilt, exploding out of nowhere with eight catches for 165 yards and two scores. We spoke to the young receiver about his emergence on the scene and his path to Gainesville, beginning with his early years in the Midwest. I grew up in Springfield, Illinois. Um, I have a lot of uh, family that's in Chicago. Um, I kind of I was there a lot too. Then I decided to move to Georgia with my mother. Um, my little sister was just being born um, when we moved to Georgia, and then I was living with my. Uh, older brother as well so so at what point did you move to georgia when did that happen oh uh, when i was like 13 oh um, okay so that was, that was pretty late in the action i guess mm-hmm, um yeah. so how did you transition i imagine where you were was uh was pretty cold probably a lot different what was it like moving from moving from springfield down to uh to georgia uh the temperature <laughs> yeah i mean it was a big temperature difference but i mean I kind of kind of have family in Georgia, but none really like my age. You know what I'm saying? I kind of had to adapt to my circumstances, I feel like. So, I mean, but it was a good transition. So I feel as if, you know what I'm saying? It, it worked all out. So when did when did football come into the picture? Did you start playing when you were in Illinois and then you continued when you got to Georgia? Or was that something you started after you moved? Up north, well, I ain't going to say up north in Illinois. <laughs> It's kind of different at the, the age you can start uh, playing football. I, I was I was three turning four when I first started playing football. So, wow. Yeah, it was kind of different. So, I mean, football always kind of been a part of my life. And, you know, I just continued that once I got to Georgia. Mm. Uh, did you play a lot of other sports? Were you really focused on football all the time? Or were you one of these guys that did a little bit of everything? Um, I mean, I played – when I was in Illinois, I played ba- – uh, basketball and baseball and football, but I mean, when I when I can move to Georgia, I just kind of stop playing baseball and then just focus on football and basketball. And then once I got to high school, you know, what I'm saying I just quit basketball and then just focus on football. Hmm. So, what drew you to the game? Why were you so passionate about football from such an early age? I probably would just say, I mean, I was real fast, and I <laughs> I had to figure out something to do. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, but I mean. I had I didn't really have like a lot of relatives that played football. You know what I'm saying? My uncle played a lot of basketball, but I mean I was just kinda I had a cousin that kinda taught me the fundamentals of football. Um so it just I just somehow then I found I was good at it, so it just somehow just ran with it. Yeah. So what what drew you to wide receiver? Were you always a receiver first and foremost, or was that something that happened a little later in the action? Uh no, nah, um once I I used to play running back when I was younger. Um at first, my starting position when I first played, my first year playing, I played center. And then I wow, moved okay. running back. Then that's I, that, that's like, different, right? <laughs> yeah, like a year after that, I, I played running back. And then uh, once I moved to Georgia, I played quarterback. And then I had played receiver. 
um, coming into like my eighth grade year and like um, to now. What do you remember about the recruiting process? I know you, you had a lot of offers from some big time schools. Uh, what, how did that play out for you? And, and what was important to you as you went through that process? Uh, the recruiting process was, I would say, fun for, for the most part. I mean, you know, my class didn't really, uh, a lot of officials and stuff like that uh, because of COVID. But, I mean, uh, it was it a was, um, good recruiting process, I feel like. Why did you ultimately choose Florida? What made the Gators the uh the the final decision for you? Um, just the kind of um, direction they were headed in. Um, so I had a good connection with uh, Coach Mullen and a lot of players on the team. Um, it wasn't too far from my mother, which she stayed in Georgia. So I felt as if, and I didn't want to play at Georgia. <laughs> so I just <laughs> felt as if, you know, what I'm saying I'm I uh should choose Florida. Um, and it was kind of the most place I visited the most. Like I said, we didn't have, um. Uh, officials and stuff like that so i've been here the most which which players helped you out the most in terms of transitioning to the next level and breaking you into college and, and all of that um well when i first got here probably xavier henderson um he helped me a lot um jacob copeland he was here he helped me a lot um as well um, just showing me the ins and out of uh, college you mentioned the connection with Coach Mullen, the old staff. You know, you were kind of at an interesting spot there because you hadn't really played much or gotten involved on the field at the time the coaching change happened. So I think a lot of people would say, okay, good opportunity for a clean break. I'm going to go somewhere else and start new. But obviously, we're here talking today. You decided to stay. What was the transition like with the new staff that came in and, and what ultimately made you believe in their vision for the program? Um, Just the little things that they were getting done. Um, I felt as if they deserve my trust um, to not leave. Um, so I felt as if that was probably the biggest factor um, that I put into attention um, with the new staff. Hmm. You're getting on the field is always tough, especially early on. What did you learn during your first couple years where you didn't have the opportunity to really get many games? How did you grow during that time? What did you learn that, that helped you get to where you are now? Um, well, my first year, um, I kind of had some issues, um, like as far as um, being healthy. So I feel like this year I took um, a bigger step in taking care of my body a lot more. Um, so I felt as if that was the biggest factor um, from then to now. How much? How much? In terms of the the X's and O's side, how much did you have to learn? You know, maybe the playbook and some of the other things that went into to being the best you could be on the field. Was that something you focused on during the, you know, once you did get healthy? Yeah, I mean, learning like the playbook and stuff like that, you know, the smarts and stuff like that wasn't really a hardship. I feel like with me, I've always been a kind of high IQ football player um, when I'm on the field. Um, I feel like that's a, you know, I'm saying another factor that kind of separates me from a lot of players is I have good IQ on the field. So, I mean, uh, it wasn't like a big um, struggle for me to kind of learn playbooks and stuff like that. So, mm. so a lot of people probably know your name today that, that maybe didn't a couple weeks ago because of the performance you had against Vanderbilt. Um, coming out of nowhere, really, eight catches, two scores. Where did that performance come from all of a sudden? I mean, was this what, what all of a sudden allowed you to have this huge impact like you did against Vandy? Um, I mean, I feel as if outside looking in, it was kind of more of an all of a sudden performance. But I mean, um, a lot of my players, I mean, a lot of the players on our team believed in me. Um, a lot of coaches, you know what I'm saying, believed in me. It was just finally my chance that I got to kind of display where um, where I've been doing. So, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some time away from the field. What do you like doing outside of football for fun or when you have an opportunity to, to relax? Um, I like to travel a lot. Um, so, I mean, that's probably, I mean, train a lot. But other than football, yeah, I like to travel a lot. I don't really play video games and stuff like that. I like to travel. You know what I'm saying? So You might be the first player I've ever talked to that does not say video games is the answer to that yeah. question. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't really play video games that much. I kind of like to travel, you know what I'm saying? Get out of the state, get out of the country. So Yeah, yeah, where where travel where? Where are some of the places that you like to go or that you you're thinking about going in the future? Well, in, in the past, well, I was just in Greece in, in June. Oh, wow. Um, so, and then I like to travel to a lot of cities in the US, but I mean, I I probably I, if I show you my notes, I got a whole bucket list of places I want to go outside the country, so. Yeah. What are what are some of your favorite places that you've been? Like, okay, um, well, I only been once one place out of the country, so Greece, of course, probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite places to go. But in the in the U.S., probably, you know what I'm saying I like Houston a lot, um, in L.A. So mm-hmm. I feel like those are probably the two cities I like the most. In terms of the bucket list, what are some of the the top destinations on that bucket list for you? Uh, I kind of want to go to Amsterdam, mm-hmm. uh, and London. So those probably the two cities, but like island wise, I kind of want to go to the Maldives. Um, so I feel like those are two or three. How did you get into travel? That's, that's not something that a, that a lot of your teammates share when I talk to them. How did this become a, a passion of yours? Uh, it really just started this year, really. Um, or kind of when COVID, not not when COVID started, but kind of when COVID, and you know we couldn't really go anywhere during COVID, so I just mm-hmm. felt like um, it was kind of time to take a step and i didn't been i've been to a lot of cities in the u.s so i felt as if it was just time to try something new so and then once really once i went to europe the first time in greece that was just a eye opener i was like nah i gotta travel more what what was it that jumped out to you why why was that experience so eye-opening um it, it's just different um meeting you know what i'm saying different people um saying you know the things that they do over there um are different uh, different food, good or bad. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying the stuff that they that they're already adapted to. You know what I'm saying so. I just felt like that was one. Yeah, uh, I know you've also done a, a lot of volunteer work. I saw on, on Twitter recently. You've been working with Bread of the Mighty Food Bank. How uh, how did you get involved with that organization, and and how did that become a, a passion of yours? Um, I kind of just wanted to, you know, what I'm saying, give back. To, you know, what I'm saying. Uh, I feel like Gainesville has, you know, welcomed me. So I feel like, you know what I'm saying, it's only right for me to, you know what I'm saying, give back. And I feel like doing what's right. Um, the Bread of Mighty Bank, uh, you know what I'm saying, it's a lot of stuff I feel like I can help around there. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like, why not help? I feel like from guys I've talked to this year, there's a lot of players involved in, in different local organizations like that. Is that what do you think that is? Is that something that that the coaches have really encouraged? Is that just a byproduct of having good culture? Like, why are so many guys so active in in the community? Um, well, I I can only speak for me, but um, I kind of come from a, ga- a community like Gainesville. Well, not really, but like a game, like a community that you know what I'm saying might need help here and there. You know what I'm saying from people that can actually do it. So mm-hmm. I felt as if if I give back, you know what I'm saying, it's other people, you know what I'm saying, will be willing to do that. So, A uh, few final things for you. As you know, Thanksgiving is is upon us. So I'm curious if you could rank, give me your top three Thanksgiving foods. And you got to put them in the right order too. Got to put them in the right order. Uh, I got to, I can include desserts or not? 
You can include desserts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, top three regular food, probably um, probably the first macaroni and cheese for sure. Okay. And then probably cornbread and then ham. Okay. So not even that's a controversial. Not even any turkey in the in the top three on turkey. No, I don't really, no, I don't really like turkey. I mean, three A and three B could be, you know what I'm saying? Probably ham or like stuffing or something like that. Okay, it's, but, it's still, a lot. but turkey yeah. turkey does not crack the list though. That that's the that's the main takeaway from this. Nah, turkey probably not even top six. Wow. Um, okay. That's. Tur- <laughs> I, I hope turkey isn't offended by this. Um, <laughs> what about what about your top three Thanksgiving desserts? It sounded like that was going to be a, a wheelhouse topic for you. Uh, probably uh, pumpkin pie. Okay. I like pumpkin pie a lot. Um, probably apple pie, and then. I mean, usually with my family, when I was back up in Illinois and stuff like that, they usually cook a lot of cakes. So probably chocolate cake or something like that. Okay. That's probably my idea. Um, all right, final thing for you, bringing it back to football here as, as we wrap it up. Um, this week, this is it, right? This is this is rivalry week. This is Florida State. This is a night game on the road. Everybody watching. Just tell me about the energy, um, you know, in the locker room right now. Obviously, not the result you wanted against Vanderbilt, but how do you reset that energy and and be in the right place for this huge game on Friday? Um, well, I feel as if you know every loss that we had this season, or even just speaking on Vanderbilt, um, we kind of know why the little things, you know, I'm saying that we lost and how easily they can be corrected to you know beat that team by a lot. So I mean, I feel as if the page is already turned. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then we're just a team that puts our head down and work, you know what I'm saying, get to the next, you know what I'm saying, level that we need to to win a football game because we know how to win. So I just felt like um, the mindset in the locker rooms, you know what I'm saying, this is the last one, so we have to put it all out. So I just feel like that's the way we're feeling. Well, Dejan, thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy all the cakes and pies on Thanksgiving and specifically (laughs) no turkey. Uh, But wish you a lot of luck against the Seminoles and, and look forward to seeing you out there. Appreciate you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.